The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. As the world has changed dramatically in recent weeks, our jobs have changed too. If you're looking to explore the science of making sense of work in these trying times, you should check out Work Life with Adam Grant, a podcast from TED. This season, you'll learn how small wins can help you fight burnout, how you don't have to fight loneliness at work alone, and what veteran remote worker, aka retired astronaut, Scott Kelly does to build mental resilience. Listen to Work Life with Adam Grant wherever you get your podcasts. I know I always do. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday, our show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. So I've heard from a lot of people recently who are between jobs. They're asking for advice, thoughts, and in the past, one of the first things I'd recommend would be networking. Go to a professional event, buy someone a cup of coffee. It's a great way to learn about new opportunities. But you can't really do most of those things right now. And even if you could, the things people have to offer are just much less tangible. So many companies aren't hiring. So it begs the question, how do we network now? To help us think about this, I called the most networked guy I know, Reed Hoffman. Reed builds and funds companies. In fact, he helped found LinkedIn. I met Reed more than a decade ago, and over the years, he's been the person I go to when I'm trying to understand anything about social networks, online or off. Reed's a strategist, a big picture thinker. He's also a genius at relationships. It's just so clear how much they matter to him. And Reed gets that this is an unusual time. He's trying to figure it out just like the rest of us. But if the rules for how we network have changed, the value of doing it hasn't. He has some practical tips for how we can all be better at it right now. Here's Reed. So, um, obviously challenge. And by the way, no one's been in this position before. So this is a experiment, invent, you know, talk to each other. Um, part of when you get to kind of, um, you know, like running across uneven ground in the foggy night, <laughs> right? the general techniques for dealing with these kinds of circumstances is definitely it takes a village, it takes a network to leverage your network around you. So in addition to some of the ideas and thoughts that I will put forward here, you know, everyone listening to this should take those ideas and see if they work or not or a version of them or so on. But you should also call your friends and say, hey, what's working for you, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, what are you doing in this time frame? And what have you heard that's worked well? Because they're more likely to be proximal. They know you, what might, what might work or not work for you. They might know some things about the industry. They might actually know about tangible other people or opportunities, which is really helpful. And, you know, you'll probably be doing, given social distancing, you'll be doing less, take them out to breakfast, which used to be the, the previous thing. And now you're going, hey, let's do a, let's do a, a call, a video conference call, or let's, let's get on the phone or, you know, or let's take a walk at six feet plus wearing masks, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, you know, it could be any number of things. Um, but the things to do are to think about like, okay, um, the mistake that most people make is they too often try to move to the immediate things. Like, for example, I would call you and I'd say, hey, what job should I go take? And you're like, well, okay, maybe you know that, maybe you don't know that. And it's, of course, great if you do, but but the likelihood is, yeah, I don't really know. And it's like, okay. 
So, so you have to back up to the things that lead to it. Think of it as a kind of a two-step strategic process, right? Which is like, well, what are the things that I could do or people I could talk to that might lead me to a really interesting job opportunity? It's kind of like, well, okay, hey, Jesse, um, who do you think I should talk to that would know things about industry X that I want to go into? Then the second thing is, in addition to ideating yourself, you might say, well, what are the kinds of things I could do that would get me notice or prospects at these? And, you know, typically, of course, you know, the, the answer before was informational interviewing, networking, um, as, as, as mainstays, those are still there, harder to do. Everyone has kind of Zoom exhaustion, <laughs> you know, et cetera. Um, but also it's like, well, what are the kinds of things I could do? Like, for example, um, should I, uh, you know, start doing a blog? Uh, should I, uh, you know, kind of, uh, create an interesting memo on something? Like, What's the kind of thing and what can I do there uh, as ways of doing it? So kind of what I hear you saying, Reed, is that one fundamental aspect of networking um, that maybe we gloss over in other times, it's worth spending a bunch of time on, and that is branding yourself as somebody who's worthy of getting to know because you have important ideas. Exactly. Or whatever you can do to showcase the things that you think are your best foot forward. Right. Obviously, one form of best foot forward is your LinkedIn profile, but but other things. It could be creative work. It could be a compilation. So I'm not really a writer, but I'm really good at recognizing good things. Great. Then then put together a thing of like, here's the ten best things, (laughs) right, (laughs) on this thing that I have found, Um, or um, or like, look, I know who are the smart people to call to get some good insights. Well, then okay, great, call them, get the insights, and put it down (laughs) in some way. Because it isn't just the talking to people, which is now a little harder and, and all the rest, but it's also the how do you show yourself in a way that 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 shows people like, oh, you're a person that's worth talking to. Right. Well, so it, it gets to this sort of deeper question, Reed, which is what does it mean to actually network well? So the key thing in networking, it's a little bit like, for example, the way that uh, designed the semantic connections on LinkedIn, which is you should connect, connect to someone on LinkedIn that you would refer to someone else you know on a case-by-case basis. It's not every single time, and it's not with a little rubber stamp, but it's like, oh, yeah, I would introduce, you know, uh, Sarah to Bob, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And why would I do that? I would do that because in this particular case, I think that both Sarah and Bob would thank me for the introduction. That's 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 the measure that I use. doesn't mean that the specific thing happens, like, you know, Sarah hires Bob or... Or that, you know, um, Sarah learned something new. But it's like they both go, Oh, that was a valuable connection. And thank you. That like that that was that was that was something that that had a potential to it. That's the kind of thing that's good to invest, you know, a little bit of time into. And and so you're trying to be the person who is is the that that there's that value in that introduction, right? When the when when someone introduces you to somebody, they go, okay. That thank you for introducing me to this person, right? That was yeah. that was a good thing, um, and so that's the key thing that you're trying to to navigate into, generally all in life. But now you have this more difficult circumstances, and so you have to put more work into being that. You can't just be delightful at breakfast. <laughs> yes, that is 
That is true. Although I bet there is a version for a virtual world of figuring out how to be delightful at breakfast. And one of the things, Reed, that I'm seeing pop up now that we're, you know, moving our way through second and third month of this new circumstance is people actually creatively putting together new ways of getting to know people they don't know. Like tonight, Reed, I'm going to a virtual dinner uh, an hour and a half, time limit. Everybody will be eating the same thing. One person is someone I know who's a real connector. And he has found two other people who, because of geography, I would never have dinner with pre-pandemic. But now he's collapsing geography. I think there are a lot of creative experiments like that to mine. Yep. So A, do them. B, learn about them. C, replicate them. D, try variations of them. And then key in what you've said, this is kind of E, where are the places we could turn the current challenges into advantages? One of the general good rules of projects, life, efforts is to say, look, this is a problem. How do I try to turn that problem into an advantage? So we get all about the social distancing, we have to stay in place. Well, okay, now I can ignore geography. Right now, I can be like it's 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 a natural thing if you say, "Hey, I'm I'm doing this this dinner party," and the dinner party isn't only New York, isn't only San Francisco. The dinner party is across the country. Now you have to be within kind of roughly time zone, right? right. But it could be across the country, and so, um, and so, how do you turn those into advantages? Like for example, like one of the things you can do probably more easily in one of these dinner parties, you could say, "Hey, I'm going to play a TED talk." Right. And then we're all going to talk about it because it's a little weird at the dinner table. Say, oh, I set up the projector and we all kind of look at the projector and do that. But actually, we're looking at our computer screen and that may that may facilitate things. And so look at the like, what are the experiments that you can do that can make this uh, work a lot better? <laughs> right. right. And can turn. And by the way, part of which experiments to take one one set of experiments, of course, is the the ones that help you right now. Right, help you in the in the kind of the depth of pandemic, stay in place, et cetera. But also the experiments are, well, what are experiments that if they work out well, I would do more of them next year? <laughs> right. Like right. I like I add that in. Like, for example, for me, one of the things I've learned is actually, in fact, I'm no longer resistant to doing speeches in video conference. Like as opposed to going to location X to give a speech at location X, it's like, well, I, maybe we could do it in a video conference. It would save me the travel to Boston, you know, et cetera. <laughs> we'll just do a video conference. It'll work out fine. There are so many things like that, Reed, you say that. And I think about for myself, how much more productive I've been able to be now that I've taken out that whole layer of traveling to place X to be there for an hour and a half for a meeting I felt like I needed to attend. Yes, um, it's bought me so much time. Yep. And then you can use that time for other things too and, right. and, and be creative and experimental and all the rest. Um, so speaking of time, I think one important element in networking is your time horizon for the relationships you're establishing. And whereas, you know, when you're investing in someone, you said earlier, you may not see the immediate payout. Sarah may not hire Bob right away. Um, but you understand explicitly that down the road, you may see a payoff and it may be indirect. And that's part of what you're doing when you're networking. And it occurs to me that while this period of time we're in is not particularly ripe for opportunities that you want to realize right away, that it is a particularly fertile time to build relationships for opportunities that you can realize later. Yes, I think it's a wise insight. The normal human response is, 
push a lot more energy into the short term. And actually, in fact, what you want to be doing is what a lot of other people aren't doing. It's part of how you stand out from the pack. It's part of the reason why like writing something interesting or creating something interesting is like, well, you know, 100 people didn't go through the energy to do that, and you did, and it showcases you. Well, another version is to say, well, what are the things where I can change the parameters? Like, I'll be more long-term. So, for example, my networking here is not, well, what, do, what is a job you think I should take, you know, next month? I mean, sometimes, of course, you need to look for that. Uh, but it's kind of like the, oh, no, what's, what's someone I should get to know in this industry such that they've gotten to know me? And, like, for example, once you've gotten to know them, then maybe you could send them a thing or two, like, oh, here's some really interesting art off our conversation. Here's some articles I thought you might really like that you might have missed, you know, that kind of thing. And that builds a relationship because part of, I mean, the really key thing about networking that most of the people who call themselves networkers miss is that it's giving is more important than taking for establishing a relationship. Because what happens when most people reach out, they say, well, I want, I want, I want for me, <laughs> right? Right. And if what you're showing is you say, no, 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 I view this to be a relationship. I view this to be we help each other. And so here I am being proactive about trying to show you that I view that's important, that I'm helping you too in, in this relationship that we're establishing. And, and that could be uh, part of a long game or a long effort. A game may be a bad word in this context. <laughs> well, only because what we're talking about ultimately, Reed, is human relationships and at least for me, very central to networking is a curiosity that I think is endemic to who I am about people and a desire to get to know them for who they are beyond what they can do for me. Exactly. Is that something that you had to figure out, Reed? The part about saying understanding of like, okay, um, how do you empathize and think about what it is like in the other person's shoes, uh, what's going on with them? That was kind of more, you know, natural to me, how I was raised by my parents, luck in my early friendships. You know, I don't know what, what, what set of things uh, came about to that, but, I, but that, that was something that as far back as my memory goes, uh, came naturally to me. I think it is learnable. I mean, like one of the mistakes that people frequently make here is they go nature or nurture. And you're like, well, actually the vast majority of cases, it's both. Sometimes you're lucky and the nature gets you further along the scale than not, but you can almost always learn better. Uh, and that's in some cases, like for example, being able to say, hey, like how is it we are better together, <laughs> right? As, a, as allies or as friends or as colleagues is super important. Right. That makes sense. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. 
I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Um, so Reed, we're both having this conversation today because a very long time ago, very long now, more than 17 years, you thought up the idea for LinkedIn and launched it. And that idea of social networking, it was in the other. And I remember 17 years ago, I was writing. I was writing at Business Week magazine. And I'll be honest, uh, there were sexy social networks like MySpace that I threw on the front of Business Week. And then there was LinkedIn, which was sort of curious because it supposedly ran on the same mechanism, which was socially relationships, but it was about a very boring thing. And here we are. And here we are. Uh, <laughs> in those earliest days, when you were thinking about asking people to connect according to how they knew each other, what did you get right about that thinking? And what, in hindsight, were you a little off on? Right. Um, we could take the entire podcast on this one question. So I'll try to be succinct on both parts. So uh, uh, let's see. The things I was right about. One was I was right about the notion that there was a distinction of different kinds of places that just as we, you know, go to the office, you know, generally live at home, of course, we're working at home right now, these different aspects of life that had different zones of social experiences. They weren't false identities, but there's kind of like, like you know, for some people when they go into their, their job, they, they have a uniform. It could be a suit, it could be a you know, a, 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 a nurse's, you know, uh, kind of, you know, white coat and whatever things. And, and you go in that environment, you have a different set of people, you have a different set of expectations, you have a different ethos and drive and what you're doing. And, you know, my, my view that there was this important identity that really mattered to most people, and not surprisingly, the ones that were about kind of entertainment and having fun were more fun, <laughs> right? You know, work you know, obviously we aspire to have as much fun as possible. But overall, part of the reason why people pay us is because there are some parts of work that aren't fun. Like we go, okay, we'll go and do that part of it because overall it's part of the job. It's part of why you're paid. It's part of how you you produce the work that you produce. And so uh, we we knew that we'd always be the the, the boring not as easy to decide to invest in that kind of thing. We knew that was going to be part of it, but we knew that this other part of life was super important and that it would create something that's fundamental to how people navigate their lives. Your ability to, to take control of how you invest in your own career is the thing that enables all the other things, including the ability to go on a vacation, have fun. So we knew that that was really important. We were right about that. We were also right that a lot of the um, the the thing we could learn a bunch of stuff from the innovation that was going on in social networks, in order to apply that to um, you know kind of kinds of things of features that would also be useful within the professional. And it wasn't universal. There's you know kind of call it a fifty percent learning curve, but that's still very helpful when you're doing uh, innovation. The things that we were wrong about 
I'll take I'll take my own uh, personal kind of pet peeve, which is um, it's kind of a um, my model for people is this kind of what economists call bounded rationality, which is uh, that basically within a scope people are actually pretty rational. And uh, and what I didn't realize is that people as a whole are very bad at, at estimating probabilities um, and kind of doing the probability estimate. So what I thought when, when LinkedIn started, it was considered to be almost kind of disloyal to be posting a, a CV or a resume or professional identity online because that meant right now I'm looking for a job, <laughs> right? Right. And so the culture, and by the way, of course, companies kind of collectively wanted to encourage this because part of what they wanted to do is they said, look, we don't want people to find their best possible opportunity. We want them to just stay with us and that's the better trade to us. And so we wanted to encourage that. Now, that I know is the right universe for everybody. It's the right universe for the individuals, right universe for companies, right universe for society. But there was this cultural meme. So I thought that once I made it kind of okay to have your LinkedIn profile, that everyone would get to that kind of right judgment of, look, it takes me Really, a basic LinkedIn profile that with kind of good information is like 10 minutes. I mean, it's just like, ah, I worked here, I worked here, I worked here. Here's my titles. Here's a little bit of what I did. You know, here's where I went to school. Here's some things I'm good about. Boom. And I thought that we would get this tidal wave of people realizing within bounded rationality that this would be the thing that they should do, <laughs> right? That because who knows when that really interesting thing rolls in because there's 650 million or whatever the number is, like I don't know what our public number is anymore, of people who might search for me and they might find me and it might be that one great thing. And so the, the 10 or 15 minutes is a cheap option. And who knows, maybe it's next year, maybe it's five years from now, whenever that kind of rolls in. And yet, it's still that what people do is they go, I go and update my LinkedIn profile most people, not all, like, when I'm going to really go look for a job now. And you're like, well, no, no, actually, in fact, you should fill it out. Just as kind of saying, here's who I am, people. And look, I'm doing this thing for my company. And I'm doing this amazing thing. And I really love it. And that's great. But I'm, but like, people should find me. Because by the way, they don't just find you. They can also find you for your company. They can find you for an advisory thing. There's all kinds of things where that's super valuable. And by the way, I think that cultural thing still hasn't happened. And so I concluded I was wrong about the bounded rationality when it occurred to these probability things. Well, Reed, it seems to me like what you're advocating for is putting your LinkedIn profile on your calendar rather than like, rather like the dentist appointment that you make every six months, whether you like it or not, because it's better to not have a cavity later. Yes. And by the way, it's even better than cavity. It's not just the flossing metaphor, which is what I frequently use LinkedIn. And early days, you may or may not know this. It's like, why should you do LinkedIn? I use flossing as a metaphor. <laughs> right? Oh, gosh. So, Reed, yes. <laughs> I, I don't floss, so I cannot relate to that metaphor. And, and here we are all these years later, and I have all my teeth. <laughs> yes. However, I do update my LinkedIn profile. And as you're talking, it, it feeds back to me to what you were saying earlier which is this idea of the first step to networking being representing yourself well. And in that early time that you were talking about when LinkedIn was first starting, when jobs and getting jobs worked differently, you, you actually didn't need a lot of information to convey who you are and what you did. First of all, you probably had the same job for most of your career. And second of all, if you were an engineer at IBM working on Project X, well, that's what you did. But the internet has broken open 
our ability to understand things about each other. And because we can, then we expect to. And so there is a a sort of base criteria of professionalism today that says that if you want to move in your career, you have to be representing yourself. And LinkedIn is not the only platform to do that. There are lots of ways to do that. I'm really fond of my newsletter. Um, But you have to be doing it. Yes, absolutely. And by the way, there's lots of ways to to exemplify your um, your creativity, who you are, that kind of thing. And so it's it's whatever works. So, for example, in engineering, GitHub, right? <laughs> Actually, in fact, participating in having GitHub repositories, those kinds of things, super important. So there's a lot of different uh, places of it. Now, you know, as one of the co-founders of LinkedIn, I think LinkedIn is you should always have and LinkedIn in the equation. Right. But you know, that's 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 not the podcast. That's Reed Hoffman. We'll take it. That's why we called you. Yes. Um, to bring us back to networking, um, which is where we began, Reed, you know, one of the challenges of networking the way we understand it is that we begin with what we already have. We begin with the social capital we have and we work out. And unfortunately, that tends to replicate a lot of the inequities that really don't serve business, they don't serve our society. And so what advice might you have for other people who aren't beginning life as a Stanford graduate in Silicon Valley? So, um, look, it's harder. First stop, right? The thing is, is there's almost always some ability to build some network immediately outside, whether it's through a teacher that you have a really good connection with, whether it's through you know, a relative or a friend. Part of what you're looking for is to say, well, look, how do I get uh, what uh, the sociologist Granovetter think of as the weak links, but the links to go to, you know, a broadly new network. You might say, look, for me to do that, you know, I start, you know, blogging or I start podcasting or I start other kinds of things as a way of demonstrating it. Like I go and volunteer for some interesting work that creates interesting corpus. The, the injustice of the usually the poor people having to volunteer more in order to do that is, of course, ironic in a bad way. Right. We try to moderate as much as possible, but you don't you can't moderate to zero. And so so that's on the on the on the individual protagonist side. Now, on, on for example, when you get to folks who said, look, I realize that I was lucky to be born in an upper middle class family and say, OK, well, what do I do to help? Well, part of what I do is I tell the folks in my network to say, look, if there's folks who are in the kind of classically have got more disadvantage and there are people that I could help, then I will allocate disproportionately more time there. Uh, I will do the meeting. I will take a phone call. I will make an introduction. I will make something happen. It's also one of the reasons why, you know, what we do at Greylock is we will put in extra time for minority entrepreneurs. We will put that extra energy in because we know that the field is disadvantaged against these folks. It's it's our way of contributing to try to solve the problem because on this problem, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Well put. And you know, so many times I think when I think about networking, I'm thinking, well, um, how can I look up and build up? And I think it's incumbent on anybody listening, wherever you fall in the grid, to also look the other way and say, who can I lift up, right? Yep, exactly. Because um, by the way, that's part of how you know that you're leading a meaningful life and you're, leaving a, you're, you're, you're a good person, you're leading a moral life. Because part of that is good and moral in every circumstances, life is not just about me. Yeah, well put. 
I have one other question. So the first time that I wrote about you, it was, I don't know, I think 2010, 2011. Hmm. Um, and we had a long period of time together and we got to talking after we finished the interview and I was going through it in my own career. I was trying to figure out if what I did mattered, why it mattered. And so I asked you flat out, well, what do you think the meaning of life is? And you said to me, not to put you on the spot, because maybe you don't remember it at all, but you said to me um, something along the lines of to do the thing that you've been called to do. And I said, well, okay, but what if you don't know the thing that you have been called to do? And you looked at me as if I was asking the question all wrong, or if the question was too small. You were like, then you choose a thing and you do it and make that the thing. Yep. And I'm curious delivering that back a decade later if if you would still offer the same advice i, I do um and i probably didn't use those exact words but the <laughs> meaning was correct even the translation meaning was correct which is um i think there's this question of do you discover or invent the meaning of life um and the answer is in some part it's a false question because if you don't naturally discover it e.g. calling. You go, oh, I see it. It resonates with me. This is the thing. This is the way that I have made the world into a better, kinder, compassionate, beautiful place because of me and what I have, the energy and the and the, and the vibrancy that I'm bringing the life is. Sometimes people have the, the luck of discovery, but if you don't discover, invent. Make it, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so it's part of the reason I really like Don Quixote, because it's like, no, 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 look, even if we, if we look hard and we can't discover, well, that's part of the beauty of being human, of being us. Then invent, make it. Uh, it's part of where I like really, or I really like entrepreneurship. And that's essentially the reason I'm looking at it. It's like, no, no, no this, is, this is a solvable problem because you, like, even if you look around, you go, I'm having a lot of time discovering. Well, great. Create. It's a great place to leave it. Thank you, Reed. As always, a great pleasure seeing you uh, and talking with you. That was Reed Hoffman. Reed hosts his own podcast, Masters of Scale. He talks to business leaders like Angela Ahrens and Mark Zuckerberg about how they grow companies. I listen all the time and I learn a lot. Also, it's June and Reed just delivered a graduation speech that will move you. It's all about how to be optimistic in terrible times. It includes this photo of a young Reed walking across the stage at Stanford in 1990. That's the year he graduated. The country was entering a recession. The murder rates were up. HIV was terrorizing us. Perspective, right? You can find the speech on Reed's LinkedIn page. In fact, I think I'm going to assign it as homework. Homework from a podcast, I know. But let's try this. Read it and join us for our weekly office hours. Producer Sarah Storm and I go live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern from my LinkedIn profile. It's our coffee break, and we love it when you share coffee with us. Bring your takeaways. Bring your advice for new grads. Bring yourself. And now, if you like our show, and we hope you do, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. It takes two seconds, and it helps new listeners find us. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show is produced by Sarah Storm with help from Madison Schaefer. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. 
Maya Mangini, Victoria Taylor, Michaela Greer, and Juliette Ferro always floss. Our music was composed, just for us, by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. And you also heard music from Pottington Bear. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. See you next Monday. Thanks for listening. My biggest surprise in LinkedIn was that someone who said how he looked for a job, which is, he said, I'm moving to, I think it was Denver. And he, so he, he looked for other people whose profiles looked like his. And then he looked to see which companies they worked at as a way to decide which companies he would look for. And I was like, oh, I never, that's of course a good thing to do. And it never occurred to me. It was one of the ways I was surprised on the, <laughs> on the yeah, yeah, that's a really good way of doing it. And this is another one that's, that's great to, great to see.